History Through a House. A look at British history through the doors of Longlands. Giving you the facts, not just in the history books. With your host, Isadora Martin Dye. Hey there, welcome to History Through a House. I'm your host, Isadora Martin Dye. In the room with us, you have my cousin Adam. Hello. And my husband, Ben. Hello, I'm Ben. All right, so at Longlands this week, we've actually had a more productive week than we've had done since lockdown began. We heard from the planners, which was very exciting. They needed a few edits to the plans that we had put in, and we need a more in-depth historical analysis done of the work that we want to do on the old house and how that will affect it. So we have a guy called Nils coming out on Monday. He seems to be super respected by the planners in our area. So hopefully he'll be able to tell them that what we want to do is sympathetic and in the building's best interest and we'll be able to move on and get our bathrooms underway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On another note, on tomorrow we start uh, the guys coming in to sand and soda blast the stone walls to remove all the latex paint. Adam has been scraping and chiseling all week, removing the stuff off the lime, which can't be done anyway other than by hand. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> yep. Um, it's and gonna it's, take some time, but it's yeah. definitely worth yeah. doing. Yeah. And it's all coming. It's all coming really good. So, if those that don't follow us on Instagram, make sure to go check it out because you'll see some photos. And actually, there's going to be a lot more photos now, starting probably tomorrow of progression and, and new things happening there. On our life situation, we're still gardening. We're still in lockdown. We're not killing each other. Nope. Um, we brought our horse back into work. He finally got shoes on, and his tack arrived. So everything's pretty. Everything's pretty good right now. Mm. Adam sounds enthused. Let's move on. <laughs> All right, so what we're going to talk about today is two very, very important women in Roman British history. Yes, it's the Warrior Queens. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. All right, so let's quickly talk about the people that talked about them so that we know where these this information is coming from. We already briefly talked in the past about Dio, and his writings about this period of history. He was the one that wrote further back and looked at what Julius Caesar did as a historian, and now he's writing in a much more contemporary role. We're also going to talk about a guy called Publius Cornelius Tactus, who lived in, was born in 56 CE and died in 120 CE. He was a Roman historian and politician. He is considered to be one of the greatest Roman historians, and he lived in what is called the Silver Age of Latin literature. He is known for the brevity and compactness of his Latin prose, as well as his his penetrating insights into the psychology of power politics. Not as good as the Golden Age, but not as bad as the Bronze Age. No, he got a silver medal. Um, There are two um, surviving major works from him, The Annals and His Histories, which examine the reigns of Tiberius, Claudius, and Nero. Claudius was who invaded England. And those who reigned in the year of the four emperors in 69 AD, which in case the year of the four emperors is not a clue as to what was going on in Rome in 69 AD, there were, take a guess, boys. Romans. Four emperors. Four emperors. Four Romans. They were Roman, so I was kind of right. His works span the history of the Roman Empire, and the First Jewish-Roman War in 70 AD. He 
took a particular interest in Britain as his father-in-law served there three times and his father-in-law was actually the subject of his first book. He gave Tacticus an eyewitness resource for British revolts and the queens that were ruling at the time. So while he is not a first-hand account, he is pretty much as close as we've gotten so far as to a primary source. All right. So there is writing before that, because there's obviously a golden age. I think the golden age would have come after the silver age. No. You hope it doesn't get worse than that. Well, no, because you have, like, it's... The only reason... The only thing I could really relate it to is that you have the golden age of comics. Okay. Which is, like, the... Like, the origin stories, like, the 30s, yeah. 40s, like... When they were like, ooh, like we can draw pictures and put words next to them. Um, and then you have the Silver Age, which is when they started getting really, really popular, like 50s, 60s, 70s. And then you have like modern comics, which is the movies. Mm. I actually don't know what came first, um, but you may be correct because I Googled it really quickly. And the Golden Age of Latin literature spanned, oh, spanned the last years of the Republic. And the establishment of the Roman Empire. So that was when Julius Caesar was in power. Um, under the reign of Augustus from 27 BCE to 14 CE. So you are correct. Comic book knowledge. Thanks for comic that book knowledge analog. comes again. You're welcome. More okay. of that. <laughs> All right. So we are going to talk about Kati Mandua. I'm pretty sure that's actually how I pronounce her name. We did briefly touch on her if not by name, last week when we talked about how Caracas, Caracas got handed over to the Romans when he went looking for sanctuary somewhere. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and she, we're going to talk a little bit about her. She is a very pro-Roman queen. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about one very pro-Roman queen and one very un-Roman popular queen. That'd be anti. Yeah, that was the word I was looking for. Um. I will say Tacticus does not like her. While she is pro-Roman, as we've discussed several times, the Romans had a sense of ways that you do stuff and ways that you interact with fellow people and handing over handing over one of your fellow countrymen to the Romans was considered pretty anti-Roman ethics. Mm -hmm. And then to make matters worse... She also very famously had an affair, so let's talk about her. Although Cotimandua was first mentioned in by Tacticus in 51, her rule over what at this point her tribe was called the Brigantus may have already been established when the Roman Empire Emperor Claudius began the organized conquests of Britain in 543. So there's no actual knowledge as to when she came to power. Some people theorized that she may have actually been listed as one of the 11 kings that are on Claudius's triumphal triumphal arch when he managed to conquer England. But either way, she was in power by 48 and firmly established by 51 CE. Being of illustrious birth, she probably inherited her power as she doesn't appear to have obtained it through marriage. Her and her husband, Vinitius, are described by Tactius as loyal to Rome and defended by her own arms. She was a client king, client queen of Rome. In 51, the British resistance leader, Caractus, sought sanctuary with Katamandua, 
after being defeated in Wales, but she handed him straight over to the Romans in chains. Having given Claudius his greatest exhibit of triumph, she was rewarded with great wealth. She then took this wealth and divorced Venetius and replaced him with her with his arm bearer, Velocatius. Was she married to a Roman? No, they've all got very Roman sounding names though, don't they? Yeah. I wonder if that's like uh because he, they were written about by Romans. I assume it's because they were written about by Tactius. Yeah. I assume he gave them the Romanization of whatever their name. And if we know anything about was. the Romans, they really didn't respect the English. <laughs> nope, they did not. Um, okay, so Venetius was obviously really not cool with this. Not into the whole being dumped for his arm bearer, and he went to war with her. And obviously that got the Romans involved because they were signed up to protect her. That was part of being a client queen, was that the Romans were obliged to come to her defense. The Romans anticipated that he would actually be a problem after she announced her divorce. And they sent a whole load of cohorts to defend their client queen. The fighting was pretty inconclusive until they sent a second legion and it defeated the rebels. She retained the throne thanks to the Roman forces. However, once they 69 came up and the four emperors were having their big thing in Rome, the amount of military force that was sent to England massively declined, and Venetius took advantage of that and overran her defences and took over her country. She disappeared from history at that point, so... No one really knows what happened. But where she's really, really interesting is what her story was meant to have inspired. She, anyone can guess what her story was meant to have inspired? What was happening at this time again? Okay, so she was a queen, married to somebody, left him for his arm bearer. Big war. Cleopatra. No. That different. Shakespeare? No, really famous. Romeo and Juliet. Okay. <laughs> you said Shakespeare, no. and then you said Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Tales. No, nearly. In fact, she is thought A Knight's to Tale, starring Heath Ledger. Stop. Thought to be the inspiration for Arthur and Guinevere. I don't King Arthur of the Round Table, yeah, Guinevere, that, na- yeah. Lancelot, any of this ringing a bell. Yeah, the names click, but like that situation d- doesn't click in my brain. Okay. I thought, yeah, because the way that like they... Yeah, but you don't ever get into Arthur and Guinevere's relationship. It's always just like... No, but I do know. remember now, either through some miracle of the public school system or because of one of my friend's inane ramblings, that Arthur and Guinevere are married, and then she decides to get rid Lancelot. of Arthur and then goes off with Lancelot. Yeah, like, I, I remember that. I just don't remember, like... Because it's English literature, yeah. she's always perceived as like, as not. I don't know. As not a client queen. <laughs> That's true. That's no, true. She's, she yeah. Is. She's very much not. I, I don't want to say that she's helpless because she's like a warrior. Yeah. But she's always like they do sort of perceive her as Arthur's wife. Yeah. I, not necessarily as. Like, and a lot of that's got to do with the fact that the tale English of Arthur literature. was written by Geoffrey Monmouth in medieval. Ages, yeah. mm-hmm. and they were not very pro women, right? At that point, mm-hmm. but thanks, Rome. I read this really interesting article by Michelle Ziegler out of Illinois. So, by the way, Americans who are claiming this is not an American thing, 
she wrote a really interesting defense of the idea how Guinevere and Katmandura, Katmandua were the same. So here's some of her ideas. Uh, Guinevere is said to have replaced her husband, Arthur, with his trusted... Com- oh, we were both... Uh, Modred Modri- is who actually originally she was said to have left her Arthur for. Modred. Okay. Modred recruited foreign troops from the Saxons, similar to the way that she recruited troops from the Romans. The result in both cases is a ferocious civil war that leads to the destruction of the kingdom and an eventual domination by an outside force. Both parties also recruited foreigners, the Romans in the 1st century and the Angles in the 5th to 7th century. Exactly 10 years after Arthur's death, the original Anglican kingdom that grew into Northumbria, it the timeline almost follows exactly the timeline of Cartamandua's succession and then disappearance. Guinevere went and lived out the rest of her life in a nunnery. Cartamandua just disappeared. Okay. There are many similarities between the two. The interesting thing is, is that 400 years separates them and nothing was said about Katamandua in between that 400 years. So if Geoffrey of Monmouth is using her as a basis for Guinevere, mm-hmm. it was obviously the tales that had been passed down in a much more oral history way that he then took as being a legend that he then built up around. So really, if you want to know what we're talking about here is Arthur and the King, Arthur and the Round Table. Yeah, cool. Yeah, Very cool. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So that was one queen. And she was, like I said, very Mm pro-Roman. And she fought very, very hard and unfortunately disappeared from history other than as a footnote to the Romans who were never very fond of women anyway. Yeah. Or the English. So. Nope. Now we're going to talk about a woman who they were even less fond of. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to try and read you a poem. We all know how well this can go. What is this? Legendary? Uh-huh. When the British warrior queen, bleeding from the Roman rods, sought with an indignant mien counsel of her country's gods, sage beneath the spreading oak sat the du- druid honorary chief, every burning word he spoke full of rage and full of grief. Princess, if our aged eyes weep upon thy matchless wrongs, tis because resentment ties all the terrors of our tongues. Rome shall perish, write that word, in the blood that she has spilt. Perish, homeless and abhorred, deep in ruin as in guilt. Rome, the empire far renowned, tramples on a thousand states. Soon her pride shall kiss that ground. Hark, the Gaul is at her gate. The other Romans shall rise, heedless of a soldier's name. Sounds, not arms, shall win the prize. Harmony, the path to fame. Then the prodigy that springs from the forest of our land, armed with thunder, clad of wings, shall a wider world command. Regent Caesar never knew, Thy prosperity shall sway, where his eagles never flew, none invincible as they. Such the bard's prophetic words, pregnant with celestial fire, bending as he sweeps the cord of his sweet but awful lyre. She, with all the monarch's pride, fed them, fled them in her bosom glow, rushed to battle, fought and died, hurling them as she held foe. Ruffians, pitiless as proud, heaven wards the vengeance due. Empire is it on us bestowed. Shame and ruin wait for you. So, Boudicca, much like you guys didn't put the thing to Guinevere together, I don't think you guys had heard of her before we started talking about this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. She is one of the most famous Brits in Britain. 
I know that sounds crazy since you guys haven't heard of her, but when it comes to a British queen, she is pretty much the one that Elizabeth modeled herself over. She was very popular during Victorian times. And now still, if you go, if you Google her, you're going to find hundreds of companies named after her in England doing everything from shipbuilding to courier delivery to uh, there was a television broadcasting one also called Boudicca. Now, I will say that it's, depending on who you talk to, you will get told that her name is Boudicca or Bodicea. My mother will swear up and down it's Bodicea. I prefer Boudicca, but I don't think that either of them is wrong as it was written differently by different people all the time. Well, I mean, obviously one of them was wrong. She probably cared which way it was pronounced. But we can't ask her. So she was a Celtic queen who led a revolt against against the Romans in 60 or 61 CE. Um, so right as these two writers were actually writing. The really cool thing about this is that we actually have a first-hand account from Dio as to what she would have looked like. Dio has to be said that, obviously, he's a Roman. She, as we will find out, gave the Romans quite the runaround. They were hardly going to call her like a small little pretty girl because they wanted to make her sound fierce and intimidating. She probably is, was as well. Yeah, this is what she, he has to say about her. She was huge of fame, Cassius wrote. Terrifying of aspect with a harsh voice. A mass of bright red hair fell to her knees. She wore a twisted golden necklace and a tunic of many colors, over which was a thick mantle fastened by a brooch. Now she grasped a spear to fight to strike fear into all who watched her. Is she brave? Basically. Okay. Uh, also, all of her yeah. soldiers painted themselves blue. Okay, this is the this is the blue people? This is the blue people. The blue man group? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, there is actually a film where Kiara Knightley plays her. Uh, okay. She looks pretty hot in it. We should watch it. She's cool. I like her. Okay. She's awesome. I awesome only watch first. Pirates of the Caribbean. This is like her second best film after that. Oh, Atonement's pretty good. All right. Um, <laughs> Don't forget Bend It Like Beckham. She's a decent actress. <laughs> she is great. Okay. At the age of 18, she married the king of the Encina tribe of modern-day East Anglia. So she was ruler of the bump in England on the east coast, like where that like rounded bit of England is. She was ruler up there. She... There's little known about her early life. Um, she was perhaps and probably born into an elite family, but she was not born royal. So our first queen was born into royalty mm-hmm. and inherited. She, Bodicea, uh, did not. Married into it. Married into it. She not only was intimidating, but she was a very popular queen. And... They became client kings of Rome, uh, the, her and her husband. It became a client kingdom. And she had two daughters. And to all intents and purposes, up until the point that her husband died in 60 CE, she was living a fairly similar life as to our first queen. She was a client kingdom. She had the support of Rome. She was probably fairly, in quotes, modern. Um, and taking up Roman ideals. Oh, okay. She, uh, anyway, her husband died, and he had willed, as was the British tradition, the kingdom to be split between his two daughters and overseen by his wife. Okay. 
as we know, and we've gone over many, many times, Rome were not okay with this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So when he died, they went a different way with it. And here is the account from Tactius on what happened. Kingdom and household alike were plundered like prizes of war. The one by the Romans' officers, the other by the Roman slaves. At the beginning, his widow, Budicea, was flogged and their daughters raped. They publicly flogged both her and her two daughters and then went on to further publicly rape them. Nothing is safe from Roman pride and arrogance. This is what she said. This is her quote. They will deface the sacred and will deflower our virgins. Win the battle or perish, that is what, a, as a woman, I will do. So, her husband left her the property. The Romans came in, said, you're a woman, you can't inherit. And then, basically, deflowered both her children, took all her stuff and kicked her out of the kingdom. She didn't take this well. No, mm. I can imagine not. <laughs> and she also, as we discussed last week, most women in this area, era in England were not raised to be housewives. They were raised to warrior and fight and as much as the men that they were raised alongside. So, Boudicca and her daughters got themselves a chariot and went touring their kingdom, rallying the people to be on her side. It really wasn't a hard thing. They, the Romans weren't very popular. They hadn't been... I mean, they'd been in the country at this point, like, 17 years. Mm -hmm. They'd also just raped two innocent girls and a queen. They had started pillaging this kingdom and taking all of its resources. So it wasn't like they were... And as I already said, they were quite popular to begin with. So it wasn't like she had a big thing to try and get all these people on her side. Mm -hmm. They all joined against her. And then the Romans also realized that they didn't just see her as a queen, she was also seen as a semi-holy figure. Okay. So it became more of a religious war. Why did they see her as a holy figure? A lot of, that's a big thing with kings and queens. Oh, right, yeah. Generally, is that they're anointed by God. I thought there was a more specific. No, no, just that the, the Romans, I think, had underestimated this idea of, Right, the, yeah, the It wasn't just a woman. Just, yeah. This was not just a woman. They had actually, at this point, by the time, by the time she'd ridden around and rallied everyone, they didn't just think they were fighting for... They were fighting for God. The, for a queen. They were fighting for a god that had been defaced by the Roman Empire. So, they, the community that she lived in was also a pretty wealthy community. If we've never heard of it, which I hadn't until this point, it's not because they weren't doing all the things that the Romans were doing at this point, but it's that they were written about by the Romans, and the Romans just kind of... Archaeological evidence has actually shown that before the Romans even arrived, they had been building roads, minting coins, they had hordes of precious metals, they were self-sufficient. They actually didn't trade a lot because they had so much wealth. We've already established over and over mm -hmm. again, East Anglia had a lot of fertile, fertile land and yeah. fishing. They really hadn't needed anything from the Romans or the outside world. They had been living... So they w wouldn't have been too worried about losing any of Romans, Rome's resources no, by going and, to war. And they also weren't 
totally uneducated in the ways of battle, war. They were a com- I think part of one of the things and one of the reasons why Rome had such an easy time conquering England is because the small tribes, they may do fight skirmishes, mm-hmm. but they didn't have any centralized form of government or... They weren't used to campaigning. No, and, and they weren't used to having one person lead. And here comes this woman, which to the Romans would have been Laughable. unbelievable, but to the Brits was just just another day mm-hmm. here comes this woman of this country of this country that at this point already had i mean money implies that there was a clear ruler that it had a stable idea of an economy and she said fight and they did and they fought really really hard and i will say that i am not great with battles so i'm gonna tell you the battle as i read it offline because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me <laughs> According to the Museum of London, the Romans sent the Ninth Legion to put down Boudicca's rebellion. But the warrior queen was not only ready for them, they successfully am- ambushed the Roman one as it descended on Colchester. Only the cavalry escaped, and the Romans rather graciously declared that that battle had been their worst defeat in Britain such, 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 well, so far. The defeat of the Ninth Legion cleared the way for them to attack multiple Rog- Roman cities. Bodicea destroyed the capital city at Colchester, then she moved on to London and destroyed that city too. After that, they took out Vermilion, known today as St. Albans, and en route they killed thousands of people and turned every Roman they encountered into... And this is in quotes, so I assume it came from Tatticus, terrified poultry. To be fair, Bodicea and her army had a somewhat easy time of it since the Romans were off fighting the Druids in a different part of the kingdom, so they didn't actually have whole lot of people left in these cities to defend them. You can still see in London that the tracings of the charred lair from where she went in and torched the whole city. Some estimates say that she killed seventy to 80,000 people. Mm. And women, children, she strung them up, she beheaded them, she put their heads on spikes, she burnt everything to the ground. She is famous... Not only for being a warrior queen, but she was not taking any chances that these people would ever be able to come after her again. She literally raised most of Brit- Roman Brit- Roman British influence at that point to the ground. However, they, the Romans realized that she knew what she was doing and that she wasn't taking any prisoners. So they finally pulled their legions back from fighting the Druids and decided to take on her. They took down, they find, they don't know where the final battle went down. They think maybe in Northamptonshire, there isn't really much of an idea as to where the final battle went down um, that wasn't recorded. There's no, there hasn't been any archaeological. They haven't found it. Mm. We're also going to talk about, they haven't, they haven't found where she is either, where does she her, died. Does her, like, war path just stop then? Like, do they have a very clear line of, of where she traveled? Because it sounds like she left a pretty distinct impact. Yes. So does it? Is there just like she gets to a certain point and then everything just stops? I think from what I can understand is she got to a certain point and she stopped. Okay. They don't know when there they she re- not retreated back, but she wasn't really out to conquer. Right. She was just out for destruction and mayhem. Mm-hmm. They think it was somewhere between London and Northamptonshire that she did this. I would say it was going to be further north than London because it would make sense, really, that she'd go backwards. Mm. But 
the Romans did still have inferior numbers. She had collected together, some records say that she collected two hundred to 300,000 people together for this. So I think it's the Romans, by the way, that say she had 250,000 people in her army. So they're going to over-exaggerate because they won this battle. Yeah. So they want to make it look like they won against greater odds. But they did manage to win. Whichever way you look at it, they did manage to win against uh, greater odds. The Romans just had so much more experience with big battles. When it became clear that they were outmatched, the soldiers tried to fee, but she had made the mistake of parking all of her supply wagons in such a way that retreat was impossible. Some estimates say that 70 to 80% of her army were massacred in that moment. Her, the death toll that she left behind Mm -hmm. was for a population of England that didn't have, we're not talking millions and millions of people, she decimated most of the south of England's population in one fell swoop. It's always really interesting to me that she is seen as such a hero. Yeah. And I guess in many ways, this is a woman who was, her country was stolen from her and she was raped and she had to watch her daughters be raped. And really, I think if you talk to anyone that had been even victimized a fraction of that, the idea of going on a rampage and killing anyone responsible. I would say vengeful is a bit of an understatement. Yeah. Yeah, she definitely, yeah, definitely wasn't uh, wasn't taking it with any sense of uh, forgiveness. They don't really know what happened to her. Tacticus claimed that she poisoned herself in order to avoid capture and that her daughters also poisoned themselves. Pretty Roman thing to think of to yeah. think someone would do. Cassius Dio said that she took ill from an infected wound. And Dio also claimed that her burial was elaborate and very public. Although we'll get back to that in a minute. What is known what is known is that from that battle onwards, she vanished. And it's highly unlikely she just went home. <laughs> She's not a... Nothing about her gave the impression that she was going to sneak off to a hut in the middle of nowhere and live out her life yeah. as a normal woman. But she's definitely reported as being in that last battle. She was definitely in the last battle. battle. She led every battle. This was not her sitting at the back. She was not a mascot. She and her daughters were out there wielding swords in the front lines, making it happen. Either way, she didn't walk away from that battle. Pretty much everyone assumes that she killed herself. I think the reason why they assume that she killed herself is because if she had been captured, obviously Rome would have, like with Caracas, would have paraded her through Rome and made a whole big deal out of the fact that they managed to capture this barbaric British queen. Mm -hmm. If she had been killed in battle on the field, it seems unlikely that they would have just cleared up her body with the rest of them and not really dealt with it. So taking herself away and poisoning herself or dying from a wound seems likely. I will say that we're going to come up to the archaeology on all of this in a minute. In all, Tacticus claims that her forces had massacred 70,000 Romans and pro-Roman Britons in her move towards this. And like I said, they don't really know how many the Romans massacred back when she lost because they don't really know how many people she had with her to begin with. However, interestingly, there uh, 70,000 people, say they'd killed 20,000 people in that battle, no one's yet to have found an archaeological site that shows a battle like that that has happened mm. or a mass grave of that period with that many people in it. 
So I, I potentially they could have just burnt them all mm. as opposed to buried them all. As we know, there were a whole lot of different theories about how you should dispose of your dead at that period. But it's really interesting to me that all of this, it's not folklore in the sense of she did exist. These battles did happen. Mm -hmm. But you're looking at it through such a lens of Roman superiority that it's very hard to know. She could have been just a girl with a few hundred people who marched into London, which had already been essentially abandoned, and burnt it to the ground. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about where she might be, because I think Ben might enjoy this one. There are quite a few people who think that she may have been found in the 1800s and that she may have been buried under platforms 8, 9, or 10 at King's Cross (laughs) Station. (laughs) Okay. See? Platform 9 and 3 quarters? Uh Uh-huh, pretty much in platform 9 and 3 quarters. And the reason is, is because when they were building platforms 8, 9, and 10, they found an elephant buried there. Now, we know that elephants were a big part of the Roman Empire and army at that point. It was one of their favorite tactics to pull out against the Brits Mm -hmm. was that they... Like, oh, you have horses? We've got elephants. Yeah, basically. And when you've never seen an elephant before, I'm imagining most of the horses, knowing how my horse would deal with that, turned tail and ran. Horrified. Yeah. And so it makes sense that maybe that was where the final battle had been held. Mm. In a train station. In a train station. Um, They also found a flint axe head. However, recently DNA testing has shown that the elephant was Neolithic. Uh. And so is the flint axe. I find it... I didn't know we had elephants here. (laughs) I don't know if an elephant skeleton... I would have thought that you'd be able to tell the difference between an elephant skeleton and a woolly mammoth skeleton pretty similar i think woolly mammoths were generally bigger i think they had i think they had different skull shapes and things like that i couldn't find so here's the thing i pulled this piece of information off it's like historytoday.com or something and they didn't have any sources i couldn't find the source for this information i just thought it was great and funny because let's face it let i like the idea that maybe jk rowling also stumbled across this piece of information and likes to think that that bit of king's cross is particularly magic more importantly, I guess, there was a grave site in, 19, in 1879 that I think shows much more evidence as being the final resting place of when they were un- Sorry, when they were mm-hmm. uncovering the ground at the platform, did they only find the skeleton and the flint axe head and that was it? And that was all the evidence they... I promise you I will do more research okay, I on what I- was found at King's Cross. Okay. And we will go into it because it was like last, this was like last minute information that I found. And I just, it was just too cool to leave out. But I'll try and find out some more information before next week. Because cool. that seems like very little to find to say. That was a battle. That was it. That was a battle. Well, and I'm interested to find out when they say there was a charred letter of London. Yeah. Was King's Cross in what was Ro- Roman London? I assume it must have been because it is very centralized. So, yeah, maybe I'll look more into Weird, weird Roman London stuff, but... You'd also think if... The, then you said they didn't find a mass grave, but they may have burned the bodies. Mm-hmm. You'd still find that as well. You'd still find evidence yeah. of that happening. Although London has been built... It's been burned down like six or seven times, It's been burned down right? and built on so often yeah. and redeveloped so often. And, I mean, even up until World War Two, where it was getting bombed, scientifically being able to tell the difference between a Neolithic burning... A Roman burning, 
and a World War II burning, I can only imagine that we've recently started to be able to make any right. real inroads as to what they were. Okay. The graves were found in Birdlip in Gloucestershire. And they contain some interesting features that may suggest that they hold the remains of Bodica and her two daughters. They were discovered by a couple of men digging stone for a road repair. And John Bellows investigated the graves and recorded three burials in a row dated to the middle part of the first century CE. The central grave is said to have contained the skeleton remains of a woman, along with numerous grave goods, including an ornate handheld mirror of bronze, two fine bronze bowls, one which was placed over the woman's face, bracelets, a stylized face of a bird in a silver gilt brooch, a pair of tweezers, five cast bronze rings, a bronze knife handle shaped like the head of a bull, an amber necklace and an exotic stone possibly originating from China. The bronze mirror was a particularly spectacular version, probably the best version of bronze mirror that they've ever found. And it's interesting... Obviously, when we started talking about bronze goods, I mentioned that it was the original way that they made mirrors. I had no idea that this would come back around. It's decorated with patterns worked into the metal. The handle is comprised of a series of interlocking loops enclosed in red enamel dots. A few of the other things about the the stuff that they found hint that at least the person in the grave was royalty. Um, The presence of amber provides a connection with East Anglia, which is where she was from, the territory governed by her tribe, as Amber primarily came from the North Sea coast of East Anglia. It was... Birdlip was once home to the Doboni tribe in the late Iron Age, and that some believe that that was her tribal origin, and that's maybe where she was born, and then she married into the East Anglia tribe. Mm -hmm. So when she fled, she returned back to her original tribe. And, and there were definitely currencies found from both places in both places to indicate that there was a strong connection and re, you know relationship between the two tribes, which the Ancini tribe didn't have much of a connection to many other tribes, so quite insular. Mm. Coins have been described inscribed with Bodvok, B-O-D-V-O-C, which has been suggested as the Celtic version of her name before it was Romanized. Mm-hmm. And... Generally, the fact that you found three women in a grave with such rich grave goods, there isn't any other version of Dio or Titus's history that would have matched that. And he actually did say that she had a very elaborate funeral, and it was only Titus that mentioned this, but um, Dio didn't, but he said it was a very big and public funeral. Mm-hmm. Which, again, this would have been... The biggest anti to that is that if she had bid, had a big and public funeral, everyone's pretty convinced that the Romans would have just gone along behind them and robbed it. Mm. Because if they knew where it was... Was that they, a, a very Roman thing to do? To rob I, English graves? I just don't think they would have given a crap. They didn't really see the Brits' burials or, or religions as being... Right, but did they, I mean, did their armies do that? As, I, I mean, don't think so. I, I mean, they robbed... They took everything. Like, they would go through the houses and take everything. Mm. They'd take all their food. They'd leave them. Uh, I mean, Romans did not go on a PR exercise around England. No, that wasn't their intention. Um, Initially, I will say initially they didn't go on a PR exercise. They did try, after this period, really hard to try and show England all the amazing things that Rome could offer. 
But at this point, it was really pay us money and taxes or we will just take you out. Mm. Or in the case of Boudicca, pay us money and taxes and we will still take you out and kill you. Mm -hmm. The other side of the reason why these might not be her is because the skeletons have never been recovered from these graves. So they were recorded by a fairly well respected archaeologist at the time but we are talking about the late 1800s we're mm -hmm. not talking about today and they're not 100% sure that they would have known what a female skeleton was and in fact it could have been a male skeleton and a shaman who might have been buried with more female elevated goods uh. I will say that from my perspective if you want to look at it the other way she was a warrior queen there's no swords in there true there's no chariot. Mm -hmm. There's no sense that this was whoever this person was that was buried here was famous for her fighting. A shaman would have had a pretty religious burial, good type deal, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does this? Is there anything that indicates that this was a highly religious burial? No, I mean I think that. I mean it could have been anybody. The evidence isn't like anyone who was obviously. super wealthy. Yeah. And she <laughs> probably wasn't the only person from that tribe who no, went to no. East Anglia. No. And like I said, to me, I would like to think that if she were buried somewhere with her daughters, her grave goods would consist of some stuff that really showed I think they what a badass. Especially considering that they mentioned her on a chariot, so she almost undoubtedly would have been buried with it. And And we're talking a little further south than the chariot burials have been found. Mm-hmm. But weird that she wouldn't have been buried with any, I mean, one knife, one bronze-handled knife. Yeah. But weird that she wouldn't have been buried in armor or, and it may just have been that the guy didn't record it. John Bellows may just not have realized that that was what he was looking at. Mm -hmm. Where are the remains from this? Or have they been investigated since then? See, I couldn't find this out. Huh. I know that the grave goods are in the Gloucester City Museum and Art Gallery. Okay. But... The fact that they haven't confirmed, or this source seems to give the idea that they haven't confirmed whether the skeletons were in fact male or female. So they don't have; they might not have the skeletons. Means that they might not have the skeletons. Huh. Maybe the grave goods were taken, but they were reburied. Okay. And we all know what a hard job it is to do, do archaeological yeah. stuff now. I personally think if it is proved that they are three women buried at this status in this place at this time, chances of it not being her are fairly slim. Slim. But I don't know. I like to think that she's buried somewhere with a bit more. Yeah. Although if, if um, I mean, so the Roman, tit not Titus, um, what was his name? Titicus. Yeah. Titicus, said that she had a, a really elaborate funeral, but yeah. he probably wouldn't have seen it. Exactly. Um, so it's possible that they just were like, well, we have to, like, we're going to bury her because she was our queen. So yeah. but we're not going to do anything crazy because. Oh, actually, sorry. It was my fault. Dia was the one that claimed her burial was elaborate okay. and very public. Um, because they didn't want the Romans, like, coming down on them. Maybe for yeah. the reasons that you cited where they were afraid the Romans would rob her grave if they knew. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, so it's an interesting thing. Anyway, next week we're going to talk a lot more about British Romans in Britain. Britain. And the Southwest. We're going to get much more into the Southwest next week because obviously this one was very much not about Longlands and Hannock. Mm -mm. But I seem to be on a 
powerful women, women warrior kick this week. Because mm. in Legendary, I did Joan of Arc. And it seemed to fit in with where my brain is at. So cool. Seems appropriate. And I have honestly been wanting to learn more about Boudicca or Boudicca since I first heard about her. And this gave me the excuse to run that down. Yeah. And she did not disappoint. You don't need any excuses to, to direct your podcast the way you want to. That is true. That is true. That's the joy of it being my podcast. Well, we are going right. to get very Devon next week. We are going to get much more Devon next week, um, much more Southwest, and we're going to learn a lot more about farming in Roman times, which is basically what we would have been seeing here, how trade and farming would have worked um, for the Britons under Romans, because um, that's what they would have been doing here. Trust me when I tell you that I don't think that Henoch saw... Any warrior queens sweeping by in their chariots, which is sad for Henrik. It's a shame. It is. You just can't get a chariot up this hill. No. But maybe in future, maybe in future we'll get a chariot. We'll warrior queen oh, it up. Oh, a chariot. I thought you meant a warrior queen. That seems a little bit less likely. But you <laughs> never know. That's all right. I'm working on it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thanks, guys. Bye.